It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's just gone nine o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Our number here, 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Or you can text us, double eight double three. And uh, joining us now on the phone out of the UK is uh, the head rugby writer for the Daily Mail, uh, Chris Foy. Uh, good morning to you, Chris. Good evening, our time. Um, when I initially got in touch, it was like, let's talk about where England are at post the Six Nations with the Rugby World Cup on the horizon. But shock horror, the All Blacks have made an announcement and they've named uh, the new All Black coach post-World Cup. Uh, your reaction, sir? It's funny because the two things you just mentioned actually sort of uh, cross over a little bit, given that Scott Robertson came around these parts for an interview uh, with the RFU as well. But I think this was the one he wanted. It was pretty clear all along that he had his eyes on the All Blacks job and most of the people probably in New Zealand, I would imagine, most of the people in this part of the world think he's the right man for that job. You can't argue with his record with the Crusaders. We get used every year to seeing the clips coming from the other side of the world of Scott Robertson breakdancing, which means they've won it again. Um, so, you know, he's he's a phenomenal coach. There's a, there's a lot of players, I have to say, probably sort of recent England players, uh, a, a lot of people in these parts who've talked about what sort of an outstanding rare coach he is and that actually they wished England, <clears throat> England had gone for him and really tried to make him their coach. So, I think he's very highly regarded. Uh, everyone sees him as innovative and successful and a, a, a sort of free spirit who really gets players playing for him. Um, so it's a good appointment. Now, what that means for Ian Foster in the short term is another matter. I think that's quite complicated. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the, the feeling here was they just needed to get it done because it was clouding every conversation. Um, and it's done now. So now the NZR want everybody to put it to bed. We know what's happening and just get behind Foster and the team. Uh, do you think that's going to be problematic? I just think it was quite telling that it, even when New Zealand Rugby um, put out a statement um, a little while back saying, you know, basically we're, we're getting this sorted, there's going to be an announcement soon. They even said in their own statement, we understand that this isn't ideal, that basically there's no right solution here. And I think all the countries struggle with that a bit now. Do you do you get your business done in advance of the tournament or wait to see how the tournament unfolds and then react? But already some other people you might have wanted have already got sort of deals lined up somewhere else. So it's not a it's not a perfect scenario. And I think if you're Ian Foster, you've spent a long time people questioning whether you're doing the job properly, whether you're the right man for the job. There was a lot of pressure last last year. And frankly, he was very close to losing the job by all accounts. Um, so I, I just think it's for him, it's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because deep down, he knows that he's been questioned and doubted. They've had a wobble. They've sort of come through the other side of that. Joe Schmidt's influence seemed to increase. And I just don't know whether he, as the sort of figurehead of the organisation at the moment, if you like, really deep down feels that he's he's sort of truly backed and believed in, not only by his bosses, but by the public and maybe potentially by some of the players too. So I, I just think 
it's probably the best thing just to deal with all the speculation and get it sorted out. But I'm not sure whether it's actually going to help the All Blacks in terms of the... Uh, the coaching regime at the, at the World Cup coming up this year. No, it's going to be an interesting one uh, to see how it does track from here. I mean, you know, he did say that he wasn't going to put himself forward because he felt that it was clear that, you know, the public didn't want him, which I thought was interesting. So he's going to go out on his sword, as it were, or on a shield. Um, you mentioned at the top there, Chris, that uh, Scott Robinson had interviewed with England Rugby. Now, we knew that he had been in the England camp when uh, England were down playing Australia in the in the mid-season. He'd, he'd spent some time a, ahead of the third test there and we know that he'd been up with Eddie Jones, uh, I think, around when he was coaching the Barbars and, and things like that. But you said he interviewed with England. Do you know what that was for? Yeah, I mean, he, he was he was here with uh, Ronan O'Gara, Scott Robertson, Steve Borthwick interviewed for, uh, to my understanding is they were all interviewed by the RFU as they were working out their plans for the, their own succession plans, their own um, head coach succession plans, which then changed in a hurry because the RFU had this idea that for once, you know, we we're talking before about what's the right model. Do you get it, get your business dealt with before a world cup or after it in terms of, you know, succession planning for the head coach, the RFU have been known to be absolutely shambolic on this subject. So I think they felt they really had to get their act together early so they were planning early for the succession after the World Cup. So with that in mind, in October, I think it was early November, when, when Scott Robertson and Ronan O'Gara were working together with the Barbarians, um, my understanding is they were both interviewed, and so was Steve Borthwick. And whether or not it could specifically be seen as a job interview, I think it was more initial conversations, because they didn't think at that point they were going to be appointing a head coach in December. Then the whole thing changed in a hurry because they sacked Eddie Jones um, and then they had to fast forward the process. Now, um, the chief exec of the RFU, Bill Sweeney, basically said after appointing Borthwick, he was our man all along. But they also made it clear that they considered a lot of people and spoke to various people. I actually asked him on the day they announced Borthwick, what did he make of Scott Robertson as a candidate? And he sort of dodged that one, gave it a quick swerve sidestep to get away because he didn't fancy engaging on that. Clearly, he's not part of the process to give out such information to the likes of me. But basically, it was seen that Scott Robertson was part of that process. But it felt all along as if he was sort of allowing himself to be talked into the England equation as a, as a candidate. But really, that was not what he was all about. It was all about the All Blacks job. Mm. And that's uh, that's where where he's uh, ended up, where we've ended up. Um, what about where you've ended up, mate? Um I know that uh, Steve Borthwick, you know, lost that opening game uh, to the Scots. Uh, they managed to get wins over the Italians and the Welsh. But that big loss at Twickenham, the biggest loss ever at Twickenham uh, to France, and then losing a tricky tie away to the Grand Slam champions in Dublin on St. Patrick's Day. Couldn't have been a worse combination of factors for England, I wouldn't have thought. Where, where do you feel like you are? Well, I, I actually I wrote a piece for yesterday's paper saying basically England are at performance base camp. I think what they did, what they did in Dublin, was simply do the bare minimum, you know, box ticking exercise for a Test team. They fronted up and fought like crazy, looked like they would not lie down in the face of a superior team, and frankly, that was pretty much it. So, in terms of a rebuild process, there's no sign of a great sort of a, a, a great sudden spike, a great sudden progression. 
so far. You know, often a new coach comes in, a new regime comes in, and there's a bit of a bounce effect. You, you can see it in various countries. It certainly happened with England under Stuart Lancaster. It happened under Eddie Jones, famously. Uh, it happens in various countries. Warren Gatland, when he first took over Wales, there's just new coach comes in, bangs some heads together, gets them all fired up, and there's an instant reaction. Well, Steve Borthwick and Kevin Sinfield and have come in, gone through that process, and there's not been an instant reaction. It's, uh, I, I think the concern is that they thought they were going to lay some very basic sort of um, groundwork for the the building they're trying to build, and and then France came along and stuck 50 on them at Twickenham. So I, I think that's incredibly worrying. It's led to a lot of hand-wringing and concerns about the overall state of the game here and how the system is failing and the, the lack of integration between clubs and union. You know, New Zealand and Ireland are held up as the sort of the models of how you do these things right, and England, in comparison, is a bit of a, a shambolic mess. You know, there's financial problems. So it's it's led to a lot of navel-gazing and concerns about the bigger picture. But in, in the short term, they reacted reasonably to the horror of that defeat against France. They pulled themselves together and they they gave Ireland a right go. You know, it was, they, they, they weren't threatening to carve them open. They weren't this great electric attacking side, but they at least fronted up, stared them in the eye and said, come on, you know, sort of over our dead bodies. And they really fought. And that was encouraging. But to me, that's a minimum. That that should be what they're doing every time. And I just think the concern is they're way behind France and Ireland. They're probably way behind the All Blacks and the Springboks. And I would argue that actually by the time he gets them to the World Cup, Eddie Jones will have the Wallabies in a pretty decent shape as well. And they might be in England's flight path in Marseille in the quarterfinals. So... I don't think England at this stage are heading towards the World Cup with any confidence of challenging whatsoever. Now, it seemed to me, having talked to you, having talked to Martin Gillingham and a, and a, and a few others, that Steve Borthwick uh, would, as you've put it, do the basics. You know, I mean, he was very much a, a forwards-oriented coach, um, and it would be uh, old-school ten-man rugby, uh, win, win, win the battle up front, kick for position, and then and then set piece, which is great if you can be the best at that, right? But. Uh, it, it doesn't seem that they're the best at that, as we saw um, against the French and, and and possibly even against the Irish. Is there the cattle out there for him to turn that around, do you think? There are, there are definitely. There, there, there are players who can play the game a very different way. You know, I mean, the, the, the whole... It's really simplistic, but as in a lot of countries, there's this whole endless fascination about the debate about who wears the number 10 shirt because that symbolises, if you like, what the identity of the team is. I know that I know you've had it in New Zealand. There's, it's probably slightly different in New Zealand with Moonga and, and Barrett in terms of who's wearing 10 because you're just comparing different sort of creative attacking talents. But in a lot of countries, they're seen as, the, if you like, the safer bet and the more daring option. And England have got a really extreme version of that. And there was so endless sort of discussion and debate around whether he's going to give Marcus Smith another chance. No, it's back to Owen Farrell. And in fairness to Owen Farrell, who who doesn't always get a lot of praise here, he was very good in Dublin for what they needed, a really sort of snarling, confrontational, fired-up sort of... Uh, I don't know. He just imposed himself on that game. And you came out of that game thinking he'll be the 10. The, 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 the sort of debate has been taken away a bit. But it's, it's just a shame that they have the tools to do things differently. They do have Marcus Smith, who, with the right framework around him, with a decent pack to get him on the front foot, 
and with some runners outside who can cause trouble, which England do have. There are players like that in the Premiership. Then England could play a different way, but they won't. They absolutely won't. They will. They, they will go to the Leicester playbook, which won Leicester the title. They'll play a pressure game, a high, but it's sort of a pressure plus. I think I heard someone calling it, where it's just kicking the ball in the air, chasing hard, making tackles, aggression, 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 physicality, fitness, all those sort of basic things that can be drilled into a team, which doesn't require sort of X factor talent. And that Borthwick will make sure that the whole summer is spent getting them to a point where they're ferocious and horrible and relentless and competitive, but it won't be pretty. Now, whether after the World Cup, depending on how it goes, there is then a determination to expand the repertoire, I don't know. I mean, frankly, Nick Evans is in there. The ex-All Black is in there um, as an attack coach. He's been working with them during the Six Nations. And I'd love to say I could see his fingerprints all over it, but I can't. Uh, a lot of people saw glimpses and then they went back to a very basic plan. So, look, I don't think it's going to be pretty. It's going to be very basic. And and if he drills them all summer and they're fit enough, which he's demanding that they come into camp fit and they can work and work and work on it, they will have a plan. They will not be underprepared. He is very meticulous. But I just don't think people are going to be dancing in the stands watching them. You mentioned the World Cup quarterfinal, potentially Eddie Jones and the Wallabies. Um, I've raised it looking at the group. Uh, you know, Japan under Tony Brown and, and Jamie Joseph have, have done some very good things. They pushed the French uh, pretty hard not long ago. Uh, the Argentinians have beaten England at Twickenham in the in the last 12 months as well. Um, Samoa, Chile might not pose, pose the same threats, but is it a guarantee that England get out of that group? No. No, definitely not. Uh, I, I actually think, I mean, as you say, Argentina beat England at Twickenham, start of the last autumn, start of the downward slope to Eddie Jones losing his job. I mean, they battered Japan um, the week later. So if you take that as a guide, then you would think they will probably be able to get through that pool. But I just think it's all about pressure. If, if they go to the first game in Marseille and there are limitations in their game plan and they think they can front up and smash the Pumas. The Pumas have got a seriously physical team. And if the Pumas do a number on them at the set piece and at the breakdown, and they have a, a track record of being capable of that with a good preparation time themselves, Michael Checker in there is a canny, you know, canny character who, can, who will know exactly what's needed that week to prepare for England. I could just see a scenario where England lose that game and then they've got a week to get ready to play Japan and the pressure will be off the chart because... Win or bust. It's basically three teams going for two places. They lose that game and they're pretty much there and, and they're gone, basically. So look, I think in reality, England will qualify from the pool and it's just whether they go through first or second. If they go through first, you get Wales or maybe Fiji at a push, Georgia, probably Wales. Um, now they're capable of beating Wales, but then Warren Gatland with a three-month camp before the World Cup, he's canny. He knows what he's doing, and I'm sure he'll get Wales into a position where they can pose a threat. So it, it all hinges on that first game. The, the whole thing's front-loaded. England go to Marseille and play Argentina. The result of that will set the tone for the whole tournament. If they win that, the whole thing opens up for them. But I could just see a scenario where they lose that game, and then even if they get through the pool, well, there's the script they face. Probably, you would imagine, face... Australia and Eddie Jones in Marseille. And I just think that there's something written in the stars about that, that that comes to pass. And then 
I just think they'll be seeing him in their nightmares that week, Eddie Jones, because you can you can just imagine how he'll relish that occasion if it came to that. Yeah, 100%. 100%. All good, Chris. Well, hey, listen, mate, I really appreciate your time. I know you've got to get the kids to school. Uh, just one last thing. Uh, what have you made of uh, of Steve Hansen uh, was asked uh, about uh, Ireland winning the Grand Slam and uh, and, and France hosting the World Cup, and uh, is, he's still very much employed by the NZR, isn't he, with his re- reply about, well, you know, Ireland with that record as Grand Slam champions, if they don't win the World Cup, they'll be considered chokers. And said the same thing about I, about the French as hosts. I just think Steve Hansen is living his best life now. He's just having a whale of a time, isn't he? He's got the medals. He's he's sat there on his throne, and he can just enjoy himself. And he just loves he, he just loves gently stirring the pot, looking as relaxed and laid back as you know any man could do. He could just be out having a nice day at the races and just sort of you know offering a, a few views to a friend. He just. I just, I just find it hilarious. I'm not saying it in a bad way. I like Steve Hansen. I'll get on well with Steve Hansen. I just think he's having a great time because he can just be relaxed. He's done it, hasn't he? He's, he's done what you need to do in the sport and he can just enjoy himself. And, and look, he's, he's right. It's mischievous. And he, he uses some terminology designed to sort of uh, be a bit niggly in there and stir things up a bit. But you, you can't argue with the logic. Like the, the, this is new territory. Ireland have never been in this situation before. Well, actually, they, I mean, I was there for all over the weekend, and there, there's such a sense of excitement and euphoria there. Like the atmosphere is incredible. Just not just at the stadium, the whole weekend, St Patrick's weekend. They've got this great team. They, I mean, frankly, they stumbled over the line. England made them look ordinary for long periods, but they are some team. And Andy Farrell is some coach, and I'm. Delighted for them, and it's going really well for them. But that comes with a pressure. You've got a target on you. That's fair enough. That goes with the territory. They can't just sort of quietly ease into the tournament under the radar saying, oh, you know, we'll take a crack at it. No, no, they're the ones up the top there to be, you know, to be aimed at. So I think he's right. I, I completely agree. There is there is pressure on France because the, the whole nation will go completely bonkers about that tournament. They're the hosts. They've got DuPont, they've got all these superstars, and everyone will really think it's theirs to win. There is pressure on Ireland because, you know, subject to the quirks of the rankings before then, they will pretty much go in as the number one ranked side and the Grand Slam champions. So they are the sort of kingpins of the North. They're going to be up there in, in, in the mix. And Steve Hansen is right. He knows what it's like. That goes with a certain expectation and pressure. Um, so yeah, I, I I I smile and find it funny, and good luck to Steve Hansen. He's enjoying himself, having a little stir, enjoying and watching the reaction, and and I totally agree. Good stuff, Chris. I really appreciate your time, mate. Keep up uh, the good work at the mail, and uh, we'll talk again soon, eh? Speak to you soon. Yes, uh, Chris Foy with us there. Uh, he is the chief rugby writer at the Daily Mail in the UK. Uh, well worth reading his stuff. Uh, he makes some really good points from an English point of view. Doesn't give it the old Stephen Jones either. He's uh, quite the quite the realist. Uh, Nineteen past nine now on extra time here on SENZ. Uh, keen to get your thoughts on a few things there. The first and foremost for those is uh, well, we've got a, an, an All Black coach post World Cup. We know who that is going to be. Scott Robertson is the new All Blacks coach at the end of the World Cup. Your reaction to that? Your reaction to it being announced now? Who do you think he will have in his team? That announcement sure to come. I know Breakfast is supposed to have uh, uh, Scott Robertson on tomorrow morning at five past eight. Is that right, Joe? Five past eight? 
It's Greg's Monday, yes, yeah. yes. So uh, yeah, the breakfast boys are going to have uh, Razor on at five past eight tomorrow morning. Joe worked hard all day on lining that up uh, with the New Zealand <laughs> Rugby Union. So well done to you, Joe. Um, and looking forward to, to hearing what he says. But who do you think he'll have in his team? What do you think about the announcement? Are you happy with it? And uh, I guess the, the big question is, does it take the pressure off Ian Foster now that we know who it is and that conversation can stop? Keen to hear from you. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Or you can text us double eight double three.